Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 46 of NASCAR Radio. I'm your pal Val, and with me is guest host, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, King NASCAR, Logan. How are you, sir? Greetings. I am doing fine. Uh, I do have a little bit of a cold, so if you hear my voice and it sounds a little weird, uh, that's why. You just didn't pick up some cars in Dallas, did you? No, I picked up some a cold in Dallas, it looks like. And just for those folks uh, new listening to the podcast, this is NASCAR Radio. This is where NASCAR and NASCAR trading cards meet. We're going to review the CODA results for the Camping World Truck Series, Xfinity Series, and Cup Series. Me and Logan are going to recap the Dallas show. And then I was able to eavesdrop in, or I was invited to, a Zoom call from the NASCAR Hall of Fame with... Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Red Farmer, the two uh, inductees to the NASCAR Hall of Fame class. Um, that was last year. It's been postponed until January. I had a little bit of audio trouble in the beginning, but I uh, pretty much picked it up right when uh, Winston Kelly was introducing them. So you really didn't miss much, but we'll have that. So it's always cool to listen to some of these legend pioneers. Uh, and Red Farmer, and then Dale Earnhardt Jr., who has such a love of the sport and the history, uh, as well as some of his accomplishments in the sport. So, But uh, let's roll over to the Camping World Truck Series. That was race number nine at the inaugural Toyota Tundra 225. That was Saturday, May 22nd. That was in Austin, Texas. Circuit of the Americas, or CODA for short. Todd Gilliland was our winner, and our highest finishing rookie was Carson Hockvar at position number seven. Just for Ken, the Haley Deegan alert, uh, she finished in 14th position, which yeah, I would that, have to say that was pretty impressive. Yeah, that was impressive for her. I, I, was, I was proud of her for that. Uh, now the next thing is a top 10. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, I mean, considering that this was a road course the first time everybody's competing on that. And she has been in the truck series. Uh, this is our first full year. So uh, 11 races or nine races and then one last year, I think it was. So switching over to Todd Gillen's, his rookie cards. Now Todd Gillen's been racing uh, in truck series for a few years. He was with Kyle Busch Motorsports, if I remember right. Uh, and then he um, he went to another team. But his rookies are in 2017. Uh, he's in Dunruss, Absolute, Select, and Torque. He doesn't have base cards in all those issues. But he's in the 2017 Dunruss. He's in the Phenom. That's a insert set card number P9. And there's a cracked eye serial number to 999. He's also in the... Base set, uh, card number 35, and that was a rated rookie, and I believe those were uh, short printed. The Diamond Kings, or what you, Race Kings, and rated rookies, and I think the 84 Retros were short printed. Yeah, I think they were. Uh, so then in the 27 Dunruss number 35, there's a different parallels with the gold foil to 499, blue foil to 299. Green foil to 199, press proof gold to 99, press proof silver to 49, 
and artist proof to 25. He has signatures in the Donra series with three different versions of the base. The base signature series, a para gold parallel hollow to 25, and a hollow black serial number to one. There's also the printing plates of that rated rookie. Those are all serial numbered serial number to one. The black cayenne, magenta, and yellow. And then in absolute, he has a base card there with all the parallels to go along with it. The blue to 199, red to 99, silver to 99, gold to 25, and then the printing plates, all serial numbered to one, black, cayenne, magenta, and yellow. In Panini Select, there's just signatures with the different parallels. You have the unnumbered, blue to 25, red to 25, gold to 10, and checkered flag prism, serial numbered to one. And then the torque, trackside signatures, and the numbered parallels, uh, blue to 75, green to 25, checkered to 10, and red to 9. And that's one thing I wish they would have kept up on is that checkered flag prism. I think they did that in the 2016 prism and then in the select and then stopped after that. So that's Todd Gilland. Yeah, those, those checkerboard cars are nice. I, I've got a Chase Elliott in the checkerboard design, and it looks really, really nice. Yeah, I saw some of the folks uh, commenting about that when they didn't bring that back. I, I don't know why, but I think, you know, it kind of – I would I would try to keep the, the checkerboard before I kept some of the other parallels just because of the, you know, the, the NASCAR and the checkered flag. I don't know. Maybe they'll bring it back one day, but I, I would have kept that or done that at like four ninety nine or something. I mean, it'd be really cool to have a uh, a set like that. But those checkerboard are pretty rare in those issues. So, yeah, I think they're are, are they one of ones? If I'm not mistaken, I think. Yeah, those checkered flag prisms are sealed numbered to one, and the track size signature is checkered. Checkerboard is sealed numbered to ten, and that's an autograph. Yeah, I wish they would make them a little, not as rare as as one, but, but you know, they've totally done away with them, so. Yeah, if checkerboard needs to be anywhere, it needs to be in racing, for sure. Definitely. That <laughs> reminds me, at the Dow Show, we were looking for National Treasures Racing, and, you know, it's that same color, really, as the NFL, so. I put a bug in Panini's ear that they need to make the outer cover to National Treasures checkerboard. So um, we'll see if that gets any traction. But I think that would be that'd be awesome. Yeah, because we kept run we kept running into those NFL boxes that were the same exact color. I kept thinking, oh, there's well, oh, no, it's not. It's NFL. Boo. Of course, I, I guess if we looked at the price, we would quickly tell it was like three thousand dollars for a box of National Treasures. So yeah, slight price difference. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I love NASCAR. And then our highest finishing rookie, Carson Hockfer, Uh, as we've talked about before, he has no cards, no trading cards whatsoever. So maybe he'll be in Chronicles. We will see later at the end of June. Yep. Hopefully they'll publish a checklist fairly soon. We can see. Yeah, we have, uh, let's see, less than 30 days. So hopefully we'll get a checklist here soon. Uh, the next race, the next truck race is at Charlotte Motor, Charlotte 
Motor Speedway at 8.30 on Friday, May 28th. It's the North Carolina Education Lottery 200. Stages are 30, 60, and 134 laps for 201 miles. There's going to be practice Friday morning at 11.35, qualifying Friday at 5.35, green flags at 8.46. It will be on FSN... FS1 Radio and MRN Sirius XM NASCAR. Are you uh, are you going to that race? I'm not going to the fr- truck race on Friday. I will be there for the Xfinity race and the Cup race. I believe there's an ARCA race after the Xfinity race on Saturday. I'm going to see if I can stay for that. We will see. That's going to be fun, man. I wish I was there. I wish we were here. T- you were here too. Uh, that's the one of the races I look forward to since it's right here in the backyard. I quasi work for, I guess, the Speedway uh, sister company or whatever. So Charlotte's got a long history in in NASCAR. So I always consider Bruton kind of like um, Vince Lombardi there with the all the um, first that that they've done in the sport. You know, but I digress. That's a, that's a conversation for another day. Yep. Uh, Xfinity, moving over to the Xfinity race. That was the inaugural Pit Boss 250, and that was Saturday, May 22nd. It was a doubleheader on Saturday, Circuit of America, Austin, Texas. And that was race number 11 in the Xfinity series. Uh, it's one of those races that Kyle Busch entered, and uh, you want to guess who won? Kyle Busch. Yep, Kyle Busch. Yay, I'm glad. Be happy. Yes. And the highest finishing rookie was no one. Nobody. None of the rookie of the year candidates ran in the race. I think all those seats were filled with cup drivers trying to get a little feel for the track. Uh, Looking at the top 10, I see Kevin Harvick came in fourth. Tyler Reddick, eighth. So, but... Kyle Busch won, A.J. Amardinger second, Justin Allgaier, Kevin Harvick, Austin Sindrick, Harrison Burton, Cole Custer, Tyler Reddick, Justin Haley, Jeb Burton, and then 11th was Michael Annette. So. And Kyle Busch, we've talked about him before recently about his trading cards. He has a – it's not really a mass-produced uh, available in packs or anything like that. In 2002, it's a Choice Marketing Rising Stars set. It's actually, it's, I can't remember, it's not, I don't know, about 20, 30 cards. I think Reed Sorison might be in there as well as Kyle Busch. And that's card number 18. How funny is it that he's card 18? Yeah, that's coincidental. Nobody knew he was going to be 18 back then. Yeah, because he was running for Hendrick first before he went over to. Yeah, he was in that five car. Yeah, so, uh, ironic. Interesting. So, that that's kind of his first XRC, if you want to say. And then in 2004, um, he was in all the flavors. He was in Press Pass, Base, Press Pass, Optima, Press Pass, Stealth, Press Pass, Trackside, and High Gear. I won't go through them all since we have talked about them before, but some of the notes or some of the things to kind of take away is that in the Press Pass Base, card number 38 they actually created a variation for it there's 
uh, it's in the back. The background is um, if he's on the infield and the tracks in the background, that's the variation. And then the other version is the more common. And then there's platinum. There's uh, samples and the eBay previews uh, number two five. There's also signings with. Uh, there's no numbered version, and then there's a gold version numbered to 50. That was released in Press Pass, Optima Premium, Stealth, Trackside, and VIP. Also, there's a Top Prospects memorabilia with glove, piece of glove, uh, serial number to 100, sheet metal to 200, and tire to 350. Uh, one of the ones that I like that I've uh, picked up actually some wax is the Optima. He's card number 54. There's Beckett samples and a gold version, number 2100. And that also has Martin Truex in that as well, his rookie. Any of these other versions jump out at you that you want to talk about? Trackside, well, high gear? Yeah, I like that, that uh, no boundaries issue. It's kind of a die cut card. And uh, it's, it's a it's really a nice looking card. It's an insert. Yes. Uh, is that the one with like the sides die cuts on the side is like curved or whatever, I think. Yep. That's it. Yeah. I like that one as well. There's another one where there's track side. There's three. He has three cards in track side. His regular card, uh, number 84 with, he, and he's on there with Ricky Hendrick. And then card number 92, which is um, like a license to drive card. That's a, a vertical, horizontal, horizontal. Yeah, I think it's horizontal. That would be actually nice to get signed, I think. I'm always looking at cards thinking, man, how would that be? You know, how would that how would that look signed? You know, it's got I think I think it would look good because it's got a it's got a white background pretty much with the car. You can see the sign right over the car. Yeah, he and he's um, you know, faux signed it or face facsimile on it with the signature. But yeah, I think if he signed right over that car with he's on the number five Lowe's car, uh, I think that'd be pretty cool. So so that is Kyle Bush. Yeah, and, and not to mention that right now, I mean, Kyle Bush rookies are very affordable. Very affordable. I mean, you can pick them up for what Val like 10 bucks or something? I mean I'm looking on eBay. Burbank sports cards have them for four dollars and eighty cents. Uh they got fifty-one of them available <laughs> and three dollars and fifty cents for shipping. So that's not the variation that is the more common one. But this guy, if he stopped today, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, first, two championships. Yeah, he yeah he would be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He'd be like Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Those guys. Yeah, I mean all the championships he's won, all the races he's won, and all the different series. Oh man, I, I think he is severely undervalued. I don't know if it's because I don't know if you want to call him the antagonist. You know where he feeds off of. You know he knows he's not the 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 favorite driver, right? But He's got the talent to back it up, and it's just, uh, you know, I think when when the chips are against him is when he strives, not to go off on a tangent, but 
you know, I, I heard somebody talk about, and if people don't remember, he was racing for Rick Hendrick and uh, something happened and they let him go. They didn't, they didn't sign him and he was basically a free agent. And I think that motivated him tremendously. And I heard somebody say, you know, if he would have stayed at Hendrick, would he have had the motivation to prove everybody wrong? And, you know, he went over to Joe Gibbs and just, you know, flourished. And so maybe he matured and having that, you know, question his abilities or him looking in inward. But, you know, he became the multiple champion winning driver that he is. Yeah. Didn't they uh, dump him for Dale Earnhardt Jr.? Was, wasn't that when they, they got rid of him to bring Jr. on board? I believe so, but I believe there was some controversy around him around that time. So, you know, when he was in the lower levels, I don't think he was racing at the cup level yet with, with Hendrick. He might've been. Yeah. I, I think he, he, I think he really wanted to show Hendrick that, Hey, you guys made a really big mistake by letting me go. Well, check this out. I'm going to win a bunch of dang races. And he did. He has, man. He's, he's an incredible talent. He's, I've never seen a driver be able to to correct the car that is 90 degrees sideways and keep it keep it going like he does i mean it's just uh, that's just an incredible talent because i mean you try i hope no ever gets in that situation but if your car is, is 90 degrees out of shape and you and you can get it back you are you're a heck of a driver no doubt yeah so in tw- 2005 he was with hendrick he had two wins 2006 He's with Rick Hendrick with one win. 2007, also with Rick Hendrick, one win. 2008, Joe Gibbs. And then in 2008, eight wins. So he ran three seasons with Hendrick at the cup level now, had four wins over three years. We'll say he ran in 2004 too, but he only raced six races. He goes yeah, to Joe just, Gibbs, he wins eight races all, that one year. Yeah, I, I just went and checked, and it was Dale Hart Jr. was the reason that uh, they got rid of Kyle Busch. So that is verified. Yeah, so he wins in 2008. I'm going to go up from 2008 and up. So eight wins, four wins, three wins, four wins. 2012, he had one, four, one, 15. He had five. He was a champion. He won the championship there. Four. Five, eight, five in twenty nineteen was a champion, but fifteen he was he was a champion. Sixteen he was came in third. Seventeen he came in second, and then fourth in twenty eighteen won the championship in nineteen. So yeah, three years with four years with Hendrick and four wins, and then goes to Gibbs at eight. So, but I, maybe it was when it was the Rick Hendrick inauguration that I was at and I somebody mentioned him about maybe mentioned to him about maybe letting Kyle Bush go and I think he might have made that comment about that being some of his motivation so yeah I remember I vaguely remember something about that as well so back to your original point though about pricing you know the cards are base cards are under ten dollars like we talked about uh the stealth for 299 this is not including shipping there's some autographs out there. So still, you know, I, I think undervalued definitely for 
for that. Now, the one thing I will say is, and having opened a bunch of the wheels, high gear, um, finding centered copies are tough. So if you see a nice centered copy of the wheels, number 45, for a good price, you might want to pick one of those up. Yeah, those are tough. Uh, I, I think that's one of the ones I do not have in a PSA 10 just because of that very, very reason. Yes. Uh, so the next race is the Xfinity races Charlotte Motor Speedway at 1 p.m. on Saturday, May 29th. That's the Alsco Uniforms 300. Stages are 45, 45, 110 laps or t for uh, 200 laps. And hopefully I'll... Uh, get some audio from that maybe we'll see and then moving over to cup race number 14 also the inaugural echo park automotive texas grand prix and that was sunday may 23rd at circuit of america's austin texas uh that was shortened uh that's 54 laps chase elliott was the winner when the race was halted i believe with 14 laps to go our highest finishing rookie was Chase Briscoe at position six. Pretty impressive. Uh, it was Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, Joey Logano, Ross Chastain, AJ Amendinger, Chase Briscoe, Michael McDowell in seventh, Alex Bowman, Tyler Reddick ninth, and Kyle Busch tenth. Yeah, I was glad to see Michael McDowell have a good run. Yeah, he's doing really well this year. Yep. It's it's amazing how a, how a win can really boost your confidence. Front row motorsports, I believe, doing pretty good. Chase Elliott rookies, two thousand and eleven. Uh, this is one of the ones one of my favorite issues in the two thousand eleven wheels element card ninety nine undiscovered element. The last few cards are undiscovered element cards. There's a few parallels. There's a green. It's unnumbered. There's a red version also unnumbered. The green is out of the hobby box. Red, I believe, are out of blasters. I've opened some hobby boxes and gotten greens. Uh, I have not gotten any reds, but I haven't really opened any blasters. The black, numbered 35, and purple, numbered to 25. Yeah, those any of those borders are tough. I mean, I just, even just a color other than, than the blue, you, I never did see it. I mean, I, I hardly ever saw any, no matter who it was. Yeah, you. Know, that's one of those parallels you don't really see. Now, I've talked about this before, that the hobby boxes are awesome. So the hobby boxes, each hobby box has a silver foil pack in them. And in that silver foil pack could be a... Black parallel number 35 or an undiscovered element autograph, which is uh, which Chase Elliott is one of those. Like I said, there's only I think it was four or five of them. Uh, Cole Witt jumps out at me, uh, Logan Ruff, and I'm forgetting the other ones. Uh, and, was it Brandon McReynolds when he one of them? Yes, very good. So those. Autographs are numbered out of 225, or the red version is numbered out of 25. Those are only available in the hobby boxes. So I don't think you can get them out of the blasters. And like I said, you get the, the green parallels in there as well. I think you get a few per hobby box. I've It's been a while since 
I've opened a few boxes of those. So uh, used to be able to get them for forty-five or, or fifty dollars, then a hundred dollars a box. And now they're all gone because of those Chase Elliots. And then on a side note, there are two. What do you want to call them, Logan? Baby Chase Elliott sightings. One is on the 1997 press pass number 45. It's Bill Elliott's car, but sitting in the seat is a baby Chase Elliott. I don't know who did it at press pass, but we need to find out and talk to them. But they actually mention that Chase Elliott and that, are we looking at the 21st century champion? Uh, which <laughs> turned out to be t- true last year. Yeah, they're they're as good as the Simpsons on predicting the future. <laughs> Definitely. So uh, that's a pretty cool one. Now, I was looking at the trading card database, and they do not list this next one. The 1997 Pinnacle Racer's Choice, number 34. It's Bill Elliott holding a baby Chase Elliott. So there's no mention of Chase Elliott on the card, but you can definitely tell it is Chase Elliott. So, so it, like I said, it's not in the trading card database as of yet. Yep. So I guess you could call those the the XRCs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's uh, a, a cool little card, especially the 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 press pass version where they mentioned uh, being the twenty first twenty first century champion. Uh, next race, Charlotte Motor Speedway, the Coca-Cola 600. That's at 6 p.m. on Sunday, May 30th. Stages are 100, 200, 300, and 400. This is the only race that I know of that has four stages instead of three. Practice is at 7 to oh, basically 8 o'clock on Friday night. And qualifying is on Saturday 11.35 in the morning on the 29th. Yep, and you'll be there? I will be there, yes. Yeah, I've got tickets for Saturday and Sunday, so I'm looking forward to it. Didn't get to go, I think, last year at all, so I'm super excited. Uh, playoff standings, after Dakota. This is race 14, or race 14 of 26. Go through the list real quick. Martin Truex at three wins. Alex Bowman at two. William Byron, Kyle Larson, Joey Logano, Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, Brad Kozlowski, Kyle Busch, Christopher Bell, and Michael McDowell with one win. Uh, The highest finishing points at the 12th spot, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Austin Dillon, Chris Buescher, Tyler Reddick, and then outside the playoffs, Matt DiBenedetto, Kurt Busch, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and Ross Chastain. So we've only got five spots left on points. So will we get five more five more winners? And will one of these will one will somebody below the cut line win? You know, a, a, a Matt D. Benedetto, like I said, with the, we talked about it last week with the points. You know, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick. I'm expecting to kind of get a win here soon. Austin Dillon, Chris Buescher, I'm not sure about. I know they're doing well, but uh, and Tyler Reddick. But if anybody else outside of there gets a win, that will definitely shake up things. Yeah, and I, I think it could very well happen. I mean, I, I'm really hoping that, that Matty D could, could pull one out. That would be fantastic. Yeah, he's at 296 points. Tyler Reddick is at 334. So he's got a ways to go. Yeah, he does. Uh, 
But, you know, like you were talking about Harvick and Hamlin, both of those guys, I would like to think they're going to win between now and race 26. I definitely think so. But, uh, you know, like like Kyle Busch last year had struggles until till the end, you know, got the win in the playoffs, but uh, didn't help him much. But uh, but I definitely think Danny Hamlin, Danny, Danny Hamlin has been close. So, and same thing with Kevin Harvick. They're just a matter of clicking. But I think we talked about it the other episode where uh, Eric Amarola and Cole Custer had wins last year that they don't have wins this year. So, you know, if one of the teams gets hot, then you never know. Or will the Hendrick group keep winning or Joe Gibbs group win or Penske? So we'll see. But really, you know, Martin Truex with three wins and Alex Bowman with two wins, everybody else is, you know, has only won one one race yet. So it's not we're getting a lot of multiple wins. So we will see. Yep. It's going to be interesting. I mean, if, if we have more than – then 16, I mean, uh, somebody's going to have somebody's going to get bumped out. So that's going to that would really be bad having a win and still not getting into playoffs. Yeah, that that would be interesting. It's the best season ever. It's been pretty cool so far. I mean, I, I like all the uh, the new places they've been. That to me, that's really been exciting. And then yeah, different different winners, you know, first time winners. So you know, that, that for me, that always makes for a good season. Definitely, we have some other tracks that we haven't been to yet that we're coming up, and then more road courses. So, looking up, we talked about the 83 Uno Richard Petty last week. It still has another day, or I think a day left, and it's sitting at $157.50. We will see next week what that finishes at. Uh, And then, speaking of sightings, if you want to talk about Dallas, uh, we had the Dallas show in Dallas last weekend. I was able to attend that flying from Charlotte to Dallas Fort Worth Airport. It was it was like I want to say a VIP preview Thursday late. Show was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There were I think it was over three hundred tables. They had the main room as well as multiple side rooms jsa was there a lot of content creators i can't tell you how many times i saw somebody walking around with film crews or folks filming them uh folks with selfie sticks Uh, i did tweet some but um thursday i had i think i had good signal friday and saturday it was spotty we did the hobby hotline on saturday that was a lot of fun seeing the rest some of the other hobby hotline folks uh that could make it i hate that other some of the other hosts could not make it but hopefully everybody makes the national so yeah uh, and, that was uh, exciting and speaking of that uh shout out to brody the kid we're thinking yes. about you buddy it definitely he, he couldn't make it but uh but hopefully he may be able to get to chicago well, i guess we'll see since he lives up there uh, yeah i hope so that'd be great to see him uh, we were, you know, Logan was uh, there as well, and we were making the rounds uh, at least once or twice per table asking for NASCAR. Saw some wax. I didn't see any major sales. Uh, there was one gentleman who had 2016 certified, 2017 absolute. Um, 2019 victory lane 
2019 Prime, uh, tw- 2007 Press Pass, uh, 80 on the Certified, 100 on the Absolute Hobby, 325, I think it was on Prime, 100 on Vic- 2019 Victory Lane, uh, and the other wax that they had. But I was checking on them every day to see what the, if the prices were moving at all or anything was selling, nothing looked like had sold. So our 2020 Prism Blasters, 2021 Dumbers Blasters, they were 30. Uh, one of the items that I did pick up was a 2001 hand sign PSA DNA certified Darren Hart Senior card. Um, I was pretty excited about that. Yeah, uh, Val had me go with him over there to look at it. And when I looked at it, I said, hey, if you don't buy this thing, I'm going to buy it. So I think I kind of prodded Val into getting it. But, but I don't think that's going to be a decision you're going to regret, Val. No, definitely. I, at, and I, you know, say what I, I think he had it for 225 I uh, was offering, I think it was like 150 175 This was Thursday. Um. You know, it's a 2001 hand sign. Press Pass usually releases, I believe, in December of the previous year. So that would have been December of 2000. And uh, we all know about the 2001 Daytona uh, race where he, unfortunately, Dale Hart Sr. lost his life. This February 18th, I believe it was. So there's a short window for that have been to have been hand signed. So um, I don't have any other 2001 Dale Hart Sr. card. So, uh, like you said, uh, we negotiated a little bit and then uh, was able to make a deal. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely going to the collection and not uh, being resold. So, yeah, there there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of racing there. I think we we pretty much found what we could find. I know that uh, I think it was Ken with with B's ball card blog. I think he found some autographs that we missed, which I'm glad he was able to find them and get them. But and then, uh, and then John Newman, he was able he he actually bought a a 2020 Prism Haley Deegan auto. Yeah, I was proud for him to do that. That was great. <laughs> so uh, we we went to uh, like a content creator dinner, and uh, they were going around asking about if you know about somebody making you making you buy and something or influencing you and you so john said no but then later on he said he had forgotten that i had influenced him from or to buying that Haley Deegan. so i thought that was funny yeah um you know uh, my observations from that show are you know, of course there wasn't a whole lot of racing i was able to pick up a, a nice 92 tracks jeff gordon autograph that's probably the highlight for me but I did. There was a lot of graded shiny cards there. I mean, a tremendous amount. Cases full of them. It makes me wonder what's going to happen once uh, PSA opens the floodgates of what they've got now and, and what the populations are going to be on these things. But there was the crowd was 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 vibrant and solid. There was a lot of people there, especially on Saturday. Uh, it was difficult at best to walk the aisles because of so many people. And then of course people with backpacks. So it just really made it kind of hard, but I mean, that's to be expected. I mean, I'm glad to see things are flourishing in the hobby. And, 
I was really pleased to see what Kyle had done with that show. That was my first time. I know it was Val's first time. And uh, I was very impressed with that show. I would like to go again. And uh, I think he's going to have another show in July, but you know, it's just, if I go, it's going to be like uh, uh, what our, what our friend from go at go GTS. Uh, Ivan had, had to say, but he can only go that one day. And that may be what I would have to do, but yeah, it was a great show. I mean, I know you have to agree with that, Val. Yeah, Kyle did an amazing job. Uh, and on your eighty, he so Logan was able to pick up an eighty-two tracks in autograph insert. Uh, that's Jeff Gordon's first autograph. Uh, he's in the Carolina Chevy Carolina Carolina Chevys, um, and I think you had picked it up for like eighty dollars, which. Um, you know, yeah, it was early, a lot of four dealers. Yeah. Yeah. It's early, uh, auto. So that was a, a great deal. And then to the show, Kyle did an amazing job. One thing I I'd seen that I hadn't really seen before. I never gave it any thought is that he rents out display cases for the dealers so that they don't have to travel and bring their cases with them, which I thought was really clever. Um, and the show, the attendance looked like it was it was packed Friday, it was packed Saturday. And to your point, Logan, if you had two people on opposite sides of the aisle with backpacks, it was tough to get through. Uh, There's a lot of a lot of folks there, and you know, wait, kind of waiting in line to look at display cases, uh, which is great. It would not have known that we'd only been in the pandemic a few months ago. And to your point, um, I did see that today. I was looking at somebody's tweet asking about the 10 million car backlog from PSA. And when that gets caught up, what that's going to do to the hobby. So, But we both know that NASCAR is not a largely graded segment of the card market. Uh, if I had modern basketball or football or baseball, I might be worried, but I'm not real worried. I think with the NASCAR. Yeah. Uh, you know, and some of the other things that we saw too, remember when we got out of the content creators uh, uh, dinner that night, it was like 1030, I think before we left and we went out to where the main hallway was outside of the exhibition center. And there were people set up with cards, people trading, and uh, just having a blast. It was absolutely fantastic to see such things because I haven't seen that in years. And to see it again makes me really happy. You are correct. I, I forgot about that. Yes, that, that was really impressive in the lobby of the hotel. I mean, it was, I won't say it was packed, but it was, it was a good crowd. Uh, there were some couches there. There were people there. There was some a table in the middle. There were people crowded around that. Down the hall or down the hallway to the uh, main, air, main area that they had the card show, there were tables. And some ingenious kids sat up at, sat at the tables and put their stuff out for sale uh, after show hours, which I thought was pretty clever on their part. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was great to see that. And then during the show, I had uh, sat down in one of the chairs and uh, rested my feet a little bit. And I saw 
uh, two moms and about eight kids sitting down. Uh, and from ages probably 16 down to, I don't know, five or six, I guess it is. And they were all trading and looking at the cards. And I was asking the moms if this was their first show. One mom said that this was their second show, that they had been two years previously to this show, and that they brought uh, another family with them, and that was their first show. So it was great to see the kids in the hobby. There were a lot of kids uh, at the show as well, and, and then older maybe old teens, early 20s as well. Uh, and then you had the older folks as well. And they had stuff from, you know, dollar boxes up to multiple mantles grade-wise, multiple Jordans grade-wise. Um, so it was really cool to see uh, such a large show. Um, I didn't even get to the autographs pavilion. Though. I meant to go look at that. But you know, looking at all of the tables, all the dealers, it, it was really impressive. It was like a pre great pre-national. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, seeing the kids and all that, it just it just kind of solidifies for me that there's a place for everybody in the hobby. I mean, you know, you got you got the high rollers, and then you've got the kids and, and everything in between. Uh, there, there's, there's a place for everybody. I mean, you may not be able to buy that PSA nine 52 tops Mickey Mantle, but you know, you can buy other, uh, lower grade cards of different players and things that you like. So there's always a place for everybody. I mean, you know, look at Val and I, I mean, we, we've got our niche in NASCAR. So it, it's great to see. I think, I think things are going well with the hobby. I mean, I know that there was a time about four or five years ago, people were like kind of worried about, you know, what's the future of the hobby? We got to get kids in there. You know, what are we going to do? Oh my God. Well, I think we're okay. Yeah. I think we're in good shape. I know, you know, with the current issue with retail at Target, Walmart and the rest of them, I did see something today about blasters going up to $30 and then also some kind of kid pack available at your LCS. So I, I think more information is going to come out about that. So I think I think we're in good shape. You know, the, the high ends for the high end, and you know, it used to be yeah, you bought a box and and um, you busted it, but collecting and that has changed now. And if you get priced out of opening boxes, then you know you go to singles or most of the NASCAR collectors are driver specific there's a few old dogs i guess like me that collect sets you can also collect insert sets i also do uh insert sets and then send them off to uh, through the mail to be uh, autographed as well so you know there's multiple ways to collect and and multiple ways to collect on a budget yeah and you know talking about autographs we could we could probably have a, a show just on through the mail autographs with nascar drivers because most of them you know, with the exception of some of the more famous, more popular drivers like Jimmy and Jeff Gordon and those guys, most everybody else you could write to, send them some cards, and they'll autograph them and they'll send them back to you. No, it's it's no problem, and, and it's really fun, especially for me, getting eighty-eight max cards signed, and you can still do that all day long. 
Yeah, we, we, I've talked about the 88 Max. Most of the drivers are still with us, and they sign through the mail. I did see today that Petty Fest is still going on, but they've changed it around. This year, you can't get your you can't get your own item autograph. They're going to give you, I believe, an autographed hero card, and I think you can get pictures with with him. But they're going to have a professional photographer there to do that. I guess that helps. It also helps speed the lineup. Uh, if there's one person who knows um, the efficiencies of signing and doing photographs, it's Richard Petty. Yeah, that, that's uh, again, that's why he's the king. Yeah. But to your point, Logan, you can send two items to the Petty Museum or the race shop with a self addressed self-addressed stamped envelope and he will sign them and send them back no auto pen and if you haven't done that i would highly recommend it we i've talked about it at least i try once a year to to let it, all the listeners know that mr petty does do that so it's basically you know getting an autograph or two from the babe ruth of nascar for free just you know self-addressed stamped envelope yeah, and uh, what other sport can you really do that in these days? I can't think of very many. Yeah, I don't know of any other iconic sports figure that does that. So that's pretty impressive. Any other obs- observations from Dallas? Uh, I guess one more thing. I mean, the uh, I'll mention again the Country Creators Dinner. Uh, it was absolutely awesome to meet one of my hobby heroes, Dr. James Beckett, he is he is one fantastic human being. I I the more I talk to him, the the more I, that I fell in love with him. I really enjoyed that dinner. I really enjoyed listening to some of the other content creators um, that they do care, they do listen. Uh, some of them in the room uh, do investments or or that kind of sports. Uh, stuff. So uh, they're definitely hearing some of the criticisms of them and they are trying to change. And some of it might be that, you know, they didn't realize their influence or didn't realize, you know, maybe they didn't have the experience in the hobby at the time. So, but generally everybody was fantastic and everybody uh, loves the hobby, uh, cares about the hobby, wants to see the hobby survive. So what is that what kind of your take yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, there was a lot of people in that room I knew, and then there was several that I had met for the very first time. Uh, but like you said, they're all they all have their little niche in the the way that they create their own content for the hobby, and every one of them are, are unique. And uh, I think they all help uh, make this hobby a better place. Definitely, it was really nice to see that. And again, with with Doctor Beckett. Uh, kind of hosting that. So I'm going to try to get some of that audio from that content creator dinner uh, to play at a later time. Uh, One other note, uh, we found out today about the 2021 Chronicles. We'll talk more about 2021 Chronicles and compare it with the 2020 Chronicles. The sell sheet came out. But what was quite interesting was on one of the sell sheets was a nice picture of Jeff Gordon with uh, signatures and base cards. So Jeff Gordon 
who has not been in any 20, 20, any 20, has not been in any Panini products other than maybe, I think it was 2016, the Cup Chase card, and then the Fox announcers card that uh, they've come to terms with him and that he is now going to have NASCAR trading cards again. So I definitely see this helping his older cards, hope, maybe hope helping his older autographs, signatures, and maybe bring in some folks that were big Gordon fans back to NASCAR trading cards. I did see one person on Twitter say, uh, you know, hey, now I can, you know, start adding to his collection. And he was kind of left out, I guess, before not having him. So, and I didn't realize Jeff Gordon had, you know, was absent from Panini until the Hall of Fame induction when, you know, I was looking for some cards for him to sign and then realized, hey, he's not in Panini at all. And then, you know, and there was no, no mention of him or whatever until until now so i think that's definitely helps the sport i think it helps the cards i'm not sure at the price point if you know what the retail price is going to be on this uh how much the price is affected by gordon how much is going to be affected by just the crazy market right now so to be determined none of the big three have pre-sale prices yet so we'll see but I think so far the uh, the reaction's been positive, and um, you know the reactions what I kind of expected. So we'll see what it does for the secondary market of uh, previous Jeff Gordon cards. Yeah, I'm also curious if his autographs are going to be limited. You know, because you know he's he's not he's not a big signer, so to speak. So you know he maybe have you know, cards limited to 50 or 25 or a hundred. I mean, who knows? I mean, I could be, you know, totally wrong, but, uh, he, you know, he does tend to not want to have to sign no more than he has to. So they may, they, they may be very limited for all we know. I guess we'll see when they, when they come out. I think if I remember right, let's talking to the, some of the press pass, uh, folks years ago, that they have to pay for the autographs. And I believe this, you know, Panini needs to pay for the autographs that they get for the drivers as well as materials. So I think that also limits, you know, what Panini wants to spend on autographs to put him in, in the product. So I'm sure uh, Jeff Gordon's not giving him a deal or Jeff Gordon, uh, you know, we've talked about it before, how tough he is of a signer. So I don't think, you know, he wants to spend his days signing cards. So I definitely agree that his stuff's going to be limited with autographs and memorabilia. Uh, and then, you know, some of the parallels or whatever. So, so I'm expecting his Panini cards, signed cards, uh, memorabilia cards to be uh, very sought after and pricey. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, like I said, time will tell. We'll find out when they come out. For sure, especially when we see a checklist, uh, so that you know that'll make them even more desirable. And it's like you said, I, I think this is going to help his older cards and, and bring folks back in that, like you said, kind of have felt slighted. And now, if we could only get Dale Earnhardt in there, that would that would really be great. But that's probably not going to happen in, in the near future. 
Yeah, I'm keeping a list. I, I, I want Dale Earnhardt Sr. I want Wendell Scott. I want Joanna Joanna Carr. Johanna, not Johanna. Yeah, right. Jennifer Joe Cobb, Norm Benning. Uh, there's a couple other ones. Um, Carson Hockfer. Some of the other guys I want with with cards. So, but yes, this is a good start. Yeah, it's a real good start. Yeah, we had heard rumors that they were going to have something special in Chronicles, and now we know what it is. Yeah, I think we, we had Tracy on the Hobby Hotline show. And if you, for those of you who don't know, the Hobby Hotline is a live call-in show on Saturdays from 11, 11 Eastern till noon. And the guests rotate. Uh, me and Logan and Jason were on. We had Tracy on, and it was I think it was a weekend or uh, right before the Daytona 500. Yep, and and we were talking to him, and I think I was talking about the Fox announcer set, and he, you know, he talked about how they were to get him in. Meanwhile, the you know they, I guess they have like a special, you know, him and Scott and the rest of them over there. Uh, they're like the Black Ops guys, and they were able to get this Fox announcer set through and created. Uh, and the regular product team, you know, was really surprised that Jeff Gordon was included. And so, you know, he, he mentioned that. And then we also mentioned about Dale Earnhardt Sr. And that's kind of when he said, hey, uh, with Chronicles, we're going to have a big announcement. So uh, we were speculating on it was going to be one of those two. So um, we we were we were pretty close there. So or we were dead on. Yeah. And, and speaking of that. Uh... Fox uh, announcer set. If anybody out there has one and might want to sell it, let me know. <laughs> I would love to have one. Yeah, I mean, there are 200 sets made. I don't know where they are. They're not on eBay. I search every day. I, I think, you know, they went to the Fox Sports and they're in folks' desks or they're at their houses or whatever. But that is one set for 200 sets. You do not see one of them. Nope, not a single one. And uh, I think also, Val, what happened is they went to a lot of people who are non-collectors. You know, so these people really don't know what they have. They're just kind of sitting on them. Or maybe they got them and said, oh, this is just junk and threw it away. Because it's like what we said before. The things that are collectible now were not meant to be collectible when they were produced. And I don't, I think people, you know, you get something for free like that. People go, uh, okay, whatever. Just, you know, they may pitch it. You, you don't, you just don't know. Yeah. They didn't really pay anything for it. So the thought is that it doesn't really have any monetary value to them. You know, when we're buying a box of cards for a hundred dollars or $200, we know that we spent that money uh, and we're expecting to get, you know, some, some kind of value out of it. Maybe, uh, less than that m- amount, maybe more of that amount. But when you give some something for free, um, you usually have a run on it uh, because it doesn't cost anything. As well as you know, if they're if there's they don't have any perceived value because you know, like I said, they didn't have to pay for it. So I'm imagining the majority of them went to some of the announcers in the sets, and that they gave them to friends and family probably co-workers i know some were used as giveaways 
Michael Waltrip and some of the tracks gave those away, but it was probably a small amount compared to the total run. So, yeah, I know I tried to to win one off of Twitter. Every time he they were all there giving those away, I was I was all there trying to get one, and I was not fortunate enough. But luckily, you were. So kudos yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah, that was one of those ones. I think in the right place at the right time. So definitely. Uh, and that's, you know, why I found that information about it, where I contacted Scott from Panini and talked to them at the national about it as well. So, um, but so back circling, circling back to the Chronicles, um, the sell sheet was released today. Uh, we will go into more details and I will compare it to the 2020. We will find out what's new, what's changed. Um, same amount of cards, same amount of autographs, um, any new inserts or not, uh, to dig through and report back to everybody. Um, those are tended to be released June 23rd. So, but we will talk definitely more about Chronicles next episode. But just wanted to let you know that that was breaking today that Jeff Gordon will be in 2021 Chronicles. Yeah, if uh, 2021 Chronicles is anywhere close to 2020, it's going to be fantastic because I absolutely loved last year's you know first release of NASCAR Chronicles. Uh, I've been working on the base the base set. Uh, I've got it completed now. I, I have one card that has not made it here yet. It's the Ty Gibbs card. We've talked about that before, uh, but that is an awesome set. Uh, Oh, something else about Chronicles Val is uh, the Spectra cards. Didn't you say that they they are going to have two in a in a hobby box now instead of three like they had last year? Yeah, so Go GTS has the card box hits. It's three autograph cards, one memorabilia card, and two Spectra cards. So was it three last year? I think it was three last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So um, I don't think those base are numbered. I know they're limited. And I, you know, that's an impressive feat, Logan, create, uh, collecting the Spectra set. Yeah, the uh, the Spectra was the largest. Of course, it was the largest set of all the different different brands that were in there. There was a hundred Spectra cards, including two with uh, Donald Trump on them. Yeah, I'm working on that set, but I don't nearly have the uh, number that that you have. So uh, it is a long project so yeah but but yeah we will break down the 2021 panini chronicles next week with um with the specifics so still no checklist but um but the big news is that jeff gordon will be included so that's awesome like we said i definitely you know would start looking at some of his autographs or check ebay if you find some pack pull in autographs or whatever and and um if they're at a at a lower price i know i'm just thinking offhand that i picked up a 1994 wheels uh i think that was numbered i don't know if it was a 1500 or 3400 but that was 20 bucks and some i think i got some other ones you know pack pulled autographs for 20 or 30 dollars so they're out there um they're not everywhere, but if you look for the bargains, 
you can find them in racing. So again, that's one of the reasons why I love NASCAR, all the collecting fun for uh, a third of the price, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's one thing we're fortunate to have in, in NASCAR. Let's hope that uh, it does. The prices do remain uh, lower, but I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, I, we've already heard rumors that Chronicles may be a little bit more expensive than last year. So we'll find out once it's, what's all that's released. Yeah, when we find that information, we will pass that on to everybody, get an idea. Hopefully, it's a decent price. I think it was like 125 when uh, the product releases. I think I want to say Chronicles and Prism were about that price last year. Chronicles is currently at 175 um, Even the Dumbest racing, I think, released in the low 70s. It's about one, I think, 50 now. So uh, I know we've seen crazy prices on all the other sports. So we will see what happens here. And then, you know, naturally, I guess it's all going to determine even if they price it high, uh, if it doesn't sell or not. If the you know the racing community, racing card community is pretty pretty finicky. So uh, I. You know, we switching back to the Chrome F1. You know, I saw prices come out at what was it like six something, six hundred and some dollars, and then at the show, we what did we see them at? Well, I want to say four fifty. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so, if I remember correctly. So even then, there's some fatigue in there now with F1 Chronicles. So, uh. At, you know, I don't want to bash F1, but I just think there is a lot of F1 products coming. Um, you know, we don't have that issue with NASCAR. We're, we're talking uh, Dunrush, which we've had. We know about Chronicles. We got Prism in September and the National Treasures, which really, I think, is a different geared to a different collector. I don't know if it's geared to the Prism and the Chronicles collector or donors collector so so we'll see what what uh what we get yeah it'll, it'll, i can't wait i think it's gonna be an exciting collecting year for the rest of the year oh and by the way uh shout out to panini friends friends of the show uh i got an unexpected package in today and i had won a uh, panini t-shirt from their uh promotion where you you can put in the codes to win a trip to the daytona 500 so hey they're some of my favorite t-shirts because they're light and uh they 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 feel real good so shout out to panini thanks that's a good point logan so if you have panini points put those in now because when the penny not panini points the what the vip the daytona 500 vip redemption right is that yep that's it yeah, so I can all the panini points. I got panini points on the brain. Yeah, so you want to enter those in because they have, I think, weekly winners, monthly winners, um, or they used to. So once um, the Chronicles gets open, there will be another f- inflood of uh, entries in, into that. So, yeah, I mean, you can win boxes of cards, you can win t shirts, there's, there's all kinds of prizes. Uh, I have yet to win a box of cards. Uh, maybe one of these days I'll get lucky enough to do that. But it's still cool that they give away stuff. Now, last year, they didn't give away anything because of COVID. So 
maybe this year they'll double up. Who knows? I, I doubt it, but that'd be nice if they did. Well, that's cool that you got a shirt because I I think um, it goes back to 2019 where they were doing weekly winners and stuff, and then last year they kind of didn't do that as much. But um, I need to enter my points or points, enter my you know, cards in. Yeah, I've already entered. I've already entered a a, a stack of them. These are the ones I've. Uh, so Logan's showing about a inch, inch and a half thick stack of uh, cards. The, those are ones I've entered already. So yeah. yeah, they make great spacers. I always use them for fillers, front and back of boxes, and uh, also the other thing I do is if I have cards in sheets, I will put those in and put in big you know numbers the card that needs to go into that sheet spot and that way uh there's something in every spot on the sheets and then i can quickly see which cards i'm missing so uh they're good they have a, a good second life to them so not just uh entering uh codes yep maybe if i win the trip val you're going with me <laughs> awesome well, good. I'm glad I got that on recorded. So, yeah, of course, if I win too, you're going with me too. So, there you go. Uh, my daughter or wife definitely don't want to go. So, all right. Well, if you don't have anything else, no, I'm good. I think we've talked about everything that's uh, going on right now. Uh, it's actually been a pretty, pretty exciting week with everything that's happened. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, the, the between the Dallas show and the Jeff Gordon announcement, and then the Races at Charlotte Motor Speedway. I I can't think of a better week to have. So I'm super excited about that. And stay tuned for the Zoom call with Winston, Winston Kelly, Red Farmer, and Dale and Hart Jr. Uh, finally get in on that Pioneers deal since I'm Pioneer since 53. I would say you qualify and, and you're the best one I know to be the first inductee that came from the Pioneer ballot. And Dale Jr., I know you kind of, you and your team were kind of conflicted that you wanted to videotape it and, and be a part of it if you got in, but you also didn't want to jinx it. So what was that day like for you and, and the anticipation? And I, I seem to recall that uh, uh, your family was there with you uh, in addition to some other folks. So what was, what was your initial reaction when with Amy and everybody being there? I think that you're... Mine just kind of goes back over your career and uh, your mind. My, my, I, I just go back to how I felt when I first started racing, what my goals were and what I was trying to accomplish. And you'd never, when you're first starting out, you never let yourself dream that big. You know, you try to stay, you try to keep your goals and your, 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 the things you want to accomplish, you try to keep them modest and you never think in your wildest dreams that you're going to be uh, selected to go in the Hall of Fame. That never crossed your mind. And I've been going to the Hall of Fame uh, for many, many years, uh, visited the one at Darlington for years and the one at Talladega. And I, I say that to, 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 bring importance to uh 
what those halls represent and what the one in Charlotte represents. And so I've had, I've valued the hall of fame and I know what it's worth for our sport. And I know how important it is to celebrate the history and the people that made our sport. So, um, I never thought, I never thought that I'd ever be elected into it. So, uh, it was pretty emotional, you know, um, I'll be honest with you, some of the stuff I did on the racetrack, uh, it was a good career. Um, it, I never won a championship, but uh, I had some good moments and some great success. And I was hoping that the other stuff mattered, uh, who I was off the racetrack and other things, other ways that I may have influenced the sport. And I feel like that, if anything, that the the nod to get into the Hall of Fame was a bit of a recognition of all of that, like the whole the whole body of work. Um, so that meant a lot to me. I took a lot of pride in that. Well, and, and I can tell you, having been on the voting panel, the entire body of work, and it applies to both of you, although in very different ways, that body of work, uh, while the wins, the statistics, things like that matter, uh, but as some people put it, it's not just what somebody has done in the sport, but what they have done for the sport. And you both uh, embody that. And, and one of the questions I had for both of you, and, this, and Dale, you kind of referenced when you started racing, and I'll start with you, Red. Red, when was your first competitive race that you ran in? What NASCAR or otherwise? Do you remember what your first competitive race was, where that was? The first time I ever got on a racetrack it was competitive the first time <laughs> that was 1948 in opalaca florida and uh they really didn't have a racetrack at that time we ran on an abandoned air force base we ran down one of those straightaways one of the landing strips and then we turned through the dirt over to the other landing strip and come back the other direction so we had asphalt straightaways and dirt turns and that to me the first time i ever got in a race car you know uh, well, actually, I wrecked. I flipped over. I went in the dirt going too hard and turned over twice and landed back on the wheels. And I kept running after I rolled over twice. And I got out of the car the first time I've ever been in one. And I said, that was the most fun I'd had in years. And, it, and I've been doing it ever since. So when did you decide that you wanted to make a career out of this, that this is what I think I want to do for my livelihood? Well, from that, that day on, you know, I wanted to do it. But, you know, I had a family, got married and the kids, and I went to electrical school for four years and become an electrician to get my card, my journeyman's card, so that I could support my family. But I still always wanted to race. I was working as an electrician during the week. Then I'd go racing highly in Hollywood, Florida on the weekends. And I always wanted to do it full time, but I couldn't afford it because I had a family. And when I got the journeyman card in my pocket, uh, I said I got the security. I could always go back to being an electrician and make it support my family. So I'm going to try it racing. And I did. And, and uh, actually, I guess it was 1959 or 64, I really started running full time outside of being an electrician. But I would still be an electrician during the wintertime when the track shut down and I raced during the summer. Wow. Long history there. Yeah. Dale, same question for you. When was the first time you were in a competitive race, and, and when did you decide, this is what I want to do? 
My first competitive race was a go-kart race in uh, Sanford, North Carolina, which is where J.D. McDuffie is from. And uh, I raced. uh, My dad was there. I have a photo, a very grainy old photo of me uh, on my go-kart with my dad standing behind me. We had bought the go-kart from some friends and uh mike herman jr who is a spotter now in the cup series was uh my teammate we bought the go-kart from his dad mike herman senior uh crazy to think that mike herman jr's still you know in the industry and part of our lives uh and how you connect with people back then and and they stay a part of your life it's just a really strange thing but Anyways, we went to the racetrack. I had no idea what I was doing. I flipped in the heat race, and uh, I flipped in turn two. The entrance for the carts on on this track was in turn four, and they said that as I was flipping and the carts were coming through turn three and four to get the caution flag, Dad was hurtling over the top of them, uh, running across the racetrack to get over there to, to, to where I was at. Uh, I jumped up. We flipped the go-kart over, ran over to the the pits and knocked out a few dents and threw back on the ground and jumped back on and rejoined the race and uh, ended up finishing the race, uh, running the main event, and nothing spectacular uh, happened, but uh, I ran at a place called Tyro uh, several times. but I, I was probably 12 years old when this happened, and I ran about 15 races before Dad made me quit. He only went to that first race, and uh, he wouldn't go after that because he was working on the weekends racing. And uh, I wasn't very good, wasn't having a lot of success, and was getting having a hard time finding someone that could take me and my cart to the track and didn't know how to set it up or anything. And so uh, he made me stop, and I ended up taking that yard cart or that go-kart and uh, playing with it for several years until I turned 15. And then I sold it for $500 to Barry Dodson, uh, who was a crew chief in the Cup Series at the time. And me and my brother, Carrie took that $500 and bought our street stock car. We bought a 78 Monte Carlo out of the junkyard for 200 bucks, And... Uh, started building our first street stock car. Me and my brother just did a podcast downstairs in my studio talking all about this. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, but I, uh, I wish I had that go-kart. I wore that thing out. I played and I'd set up, uh, I'd set up Dixie cups in the, in the parking lot of, uh, dad's deer head shop. What is now DEI. And I'd run around them things all afternoon till I, till I wore the fabric in the tire trying to blow the tire out is all I was trying to do. So I just run as many laps as I could until the tire would blow out. And then I'd put another tire on it and try to do that again. Well, you, you mentioned your dad and, you know, growing up in the shadow of somebody who's an honest-to-God living legend as you're growing up, I think two people who handled that as well as anybody are yourself and Kyle Petty uh, and with such incredible humility and grace and but also being your own person. So it's kind of a two-part question. What was it like growing up with a legend as a father? And did you and KP ever talk about that and compare notes? Because 
you know, you had two seven-time champions that you guys were, were growing up in the shadow of, but also with their tutelage. We compare notes today as we're we're both working at NBC, so we see each other quite a bit, and I've gotten to become really, really close with Kyle since I took the job at NBC. But before that, we didn't really have much of a relationship. Um, I, uh, you know, I always felt like, you, you know, Winston, you and, and a lot of other people in the industry have always said said that about me as far as handling the situation really well, but I've always felt like that um, my, my position and my situation opened up so many more doors for me than it did for a guy like Matt Kenseth. Uh, you know, when you look at dry, some drivers have a connection, have, a, have access to things, uh, have a family connection. There's something that, that helps them get into the you know get into the opportunities that they get into and i always really appreciated that and i knew that that was extremely helpful to my success you know and and there were some times when certainly everybody was looking at you going all right what are we doing now or what's what what happens next uh in your life but um there were so many opportunities opened up being connected to dad and being beside my father um that obviously wouldn't have been there for me if he if he wasn't part of my life so um you know you gotta take those opportunities and make the best of them and uh, not be afraid to take those opportunities you know not be afraid to put yourself out there and be afraid to fail well as one of our shared heroes would say your dad would be proud talking about barney hall he definitely would be proud Red, I'm going to go back to you. Uh, still racing at 88 years young. Uh, if I can even walk to the mailbox when I'm 88, I'm going to be feel like that's a full day's work. But one of the questions that we got uh, from somebody who's in the uh, audience down in the High Octane Theater is, are you ever going to retire? Well, my motto is I'm going to wear out, not rust out. <laughs> and... That's the way I believe, and I know right now, I still enjoy racing. I'm over at my shop right now working on my car, getting it ready. I enjoy working on the cars all day long, and then going out and competing uh, on the weekend. And I've got a unique situation, because I've got actually three of my grandsons that I race with, that I still be race with. We raced last Saturday night down there, and Maddox, my one of my step grandchildren, he finished second in the feature. The other one, Caden, finished sixth, and I finished eighth. So both of my grandsons last week outran me. So, but we still compete, and I still love it doing it. I still enjoy doing it, and and as long as I can still be competitive and run up in the top ten and uh, be competitive every week, then I want and physically still feel good. I'm going to keep on racing. I don't have a time that I'm going to retire. I don't know that time will come. Uh, you know, all them rightises are catching up with me. Burr, Tender, and Arthur, all them rightises are catching up with me. So they, they get a little bit harder now. So, but uh, right now, I, I I don't really have a time. I just I'm just gonna compete uh, every week as long as I can, and as long as I still enjoy it and still have fun doing it, then I'm gonna do it. Little time will come. I'll quit maybe a couple of years from now. I don't know. So. Uh -huh. I think, think it's amazing not just that you are competing, but you are competitive. I, I mean, I think that's amazing. And uh, 
Uh, it's just it's great to continue to see that. Dale, one of the questions we had from the audience is, uh, what is your favorite track and why? I would say that, um, oh, man, my favorite track today is probably Martinsville. And I like a lot of tracks. I like racing on a lot of tracks. But uh, the last few times that I've been to Martinsville, I feel like have been some of the best action that I've ever seen in NASCAR in quite some time. Um, I remember when the thing went down with Chase and Denny, I pulled out of that racetrack going to drive myself home, and I was thinking in my mind, if we could bottle this up right here, what I'm, my, the emotions that I had after that watching that race and everyone else that was there, um, if we could bottle that up and make that, you know, sell that every single week, it, the sky would be the limit, you know, for, for NASCAR and, and our success as a sport. It, it just seems to never fail in giving me the entertainment that I think we're capable of as a sport. So I also enjoy the track and driving it. I'm uh, trying to convince uh, all the, all the players, uh, that are part of the Xfinity deal for, for me to let me run there next year. Um, we're going to run Richmond this year, but um, I'm hoping to maybe run Martinsville next year. Uh, I just miss racing there. So it wasn't my favorite when I first started. Uh, if you remember back to, I think, 2001, I, I ran into everything, even uh, the, the wrecker uh, in the pit. So um, pretty pretty wild day for me. Uh, back then, uh, but I eventually learned to appreciate that racetrack, and it just represents uh, everything that I love about racing. Beating and banging, trading paint, short tracks, tempers, drama, and a really, really cool trophy. And there's all, everyone who wins that race, I don't care if you're Jeff Gordon and you've won 80 races, or if you're somebody new who's winning their first, the emotion is the same from every driver. You know, sometimes we get these guys and they get out of the get out of the car after a win, and and where's the emotion, right? Where's that elation? Uh, you always see it at Martinsville. Yeah, you know, now that I think about it, and I get asked that a lot. You know, what are the what are your favorite victory lanes? And it's always those emotional ones. And, and I can't remember one at Martinsville. You know, yours included, Jeff's last one. You just gone down the list. Can't ever remember one at Martinsville that people weren't emotional about that victory. Yeah. Red, same question to you. What What is your favorite track that you've raced on? I mean, you've been to hundreds, and why? I, well, you know, we talk about Martinsville. I ran Martinsville in Sportsman. I ran it with William Mason's Modified there years ago, and they always ask me, what What do you think about Martinsville? How do you get around Martinsville? I said, there's two things that you, you get you around Martinsville. What you need is a dragster with air brakes. Now, you, that's the way you get. That's what you get around Martinsville. You need a dragster with air brakes on it. That's that's the way you drive. So, but you know, I, talk about tracks. I I don't know. I I driven so many race tracks back in the days. You know, from the fifties on, and it's hard to say. Anytime you win on them race tracks, you like them. They're they're great race tracks. But I got to say that maybe. Daytona and Talladega, even though I'm basically a short track driver, 
they was two of my favorite tracks with Talladega and Daytona to run on. Uh, you know, we ran Rockingham years ago when it was flat as a pancake and try to race it, you know, and with big blocks and, and then Charlotte and then Atlanta before they turned the flip-flops of straightaways from front straightaway to back straightaway. So all these tracks were different. And anytime you, it, it's really kind of hard to pick one. Uh, then I've got off a lot of the short tracks that I like to race. I like to race Bristol and Nashville and uh, BIR at Birmingham. We ran for years. And just, uh, you know, Bobby and Donnie, me, we ran Birmingham for 30 years, week after week. We ran four nights a week, every week. And there's so many tracks that I ran on that I won on. But uh, I, I got maybe Talladega, that's my hometown track i guess and i you know i i didn't run that real good as nascar i finished fourth in one of the talladega 500s uh was one of the best finish there but i won two arca 500s on that super speedway and being the basically short track driver then running winning two races and i won the daytona in 71 the permatex 300 so i won on those most racetrack but i ran Daytona from the time they built the first one in 59 up till I retired from the super speedways in 92. So I ran that track every year. In fact, one year I was stupid enough to brought three cars down to run all three races at Daytona. So uh, it, it's really hard to, someone been running as long as I have and many tracks that I have, it, it's hard to pick a favorite, but I guess that those would be my two. Yeah, well, it's about, about like saying, who's your favorite grandchild? You can't do that. Uh, yeah, that's right. You, you mentioned Bobby and Donnie. One of the things I've been curious about and have not had a chance to ask you, where did the name the Alabama Gang originate? How did that come about? Well, there's been a lot of different ways on it, but we had been running, uh, being real successful. Me and Bobby and Donnie, when we ran, we ran one, two, three in many races. We qualified one, two, three, with like the, the Bristol race in 61. We qualified first, second, and third. I won it. Bobby ran second. Donnie had trouble in it. So we ran all these different racetracks. We won the Nashville 300 the week before that, and we were showing up somewhere back in North Carolina. And uh, we all traveled, like, together. We had three trucks and three single, you know, open-wheel trailers, and we'd get bumper-to-bumper like gypsies going down the road. And we'd be traveling. We was coming into this track in North Carolina, and uh, someone said it was Jack Eagle, but it was in the down there buying pit passes and they looked up and they saw Bobby, Donnie and me coming over the hill, pulling our three cars and made a remark, said, here comes that damn Alabama gang again. And a reporter, somebody heard it and picked it up, put it in a newspaper. And since then it stuck every side because we showed up one, two, three at many racetracks and they say, well, here comes that Alabama gang again. So I think that's how it got started. Okay. And they were running for fourth when the three of you guys showed up. Yeah. Yeah. Dale, you mentioned Richmond, and one of the questions that we got uh, from the audience uh, or from somebody online is about the Richmond race, which car, what number, sponsor, et cetera, and, and, and why Richmond this particular year? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be eight. Maybe it's 88. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's number eight. I think it is number eight. It is number eight. I don't know why I should, I shouldn't know that, but, um, uh, I, I always, um, so if a sponsor comes to junior motorsports and says, 
we like they like me to run a race i will tell them that for me to get in a car uh and, and go out there and compete i'm going to need you to help our other teams uh with a sponsorship package and and i'd like to get maybe like 10 races at minimum for one of the other cars and so it's a good way to leverage uh to get our sponsorships uh sold on our on our programs across the board and and sometimes that's not very hard to do and sometimes there's a lot of there's a lot of races that we need to sell so um if a person came in here and said hey we want you to run a race but we're not going to support uh the other four cars then i probably wouldn't do it uh, because i want to to keep the whatever the value is in me running that race i want to maintain that and try to leverage it to create more sponsorship opportunities for junior motorsports because we need we need to do that every chance we get. So um, Unilever, which is the Hellman's brand, they also have Ragu and uh, all kinds of brands underneath the Unilever umbrella. But um, they've liked that package for many years, and so I ran one race a year, and they've sponsored uh, Justin's car and a couple other cars, uh, about eight to ten races. Uh, each season so they love it and they want to continue doing it so as long as they want to do that i'll run this one race a year for them if somebody else comes in and wants to give us a 10 race sponsorship or more on another car i'll run a race for them too so i'll run two races a year um you know but um i just don't want to be racing and not trying to leverage that against helping junior motorsports in some way so uh i like richmond i just love short tracks so when you look at the schedule we got three to choose from Martinsville, Richmond and Bristol. And so I don't want to run in the playoffs cause I don't want to get in the middle of that. They're trying to win their championships and I don't want to ever have any influence over what might happen in that race or be put in a bad situation or cost somebody some points. So, uh, I don't want to run the playoffs and, uh, that, that limits the amount of, you know, that limits the races I get to choose, but we ended up going back to Richmond. We've been there before. Rich, Richmond's really, really similar to the track I, I learned how to drive a late mile stock car on, which is Myrtle Beach Speedway. They're shaped very similar. So that's why I think I like racing at Richmond a lot is because of the, the, the similarities to Myrtle. Gotcha. Somebody else sent a question in. Uh, do you think you'll ever race a cup race again? Never say never. Um, <laughs> you know, you just don't know. I'm... Uh, I've really wanted to get in one of the next gen cars and test. And, uh, I've come close to figuring out when I can do that. So, um, I just want to feel what those cars drive like. So it'll help me in the booth when I'm talking about the cars and how they feel and drive, what the drivers are experiencing. But I want to be able to know what I'm talking about and not just imagine or guess, right. How they're doing. So, um, I definitely want to get in a next gen car and run a lot of laps at a test somewhere. And, um, it just depends on whether that looks fun or not. I guess if it looks fun and exciting and, and a really bad, I, mean, I watch the races now and I want to be out there. Um, I think that's healthy to feel that way. And it helps me in the booth because I'm excited about what I'm seeing. But, um, at some point, maybe that, urge to get out there becomes too big to deny and then i have to sit down with amy my wife and say hey 
I really, really, really want to go do this. Uh, and maybe, maybe, maybe I can convince her into letting me do it. But um, she doesn't want to uh, see me get out there and put myself in it. Like, I want to run a late model stock car race here somewhere locally. And she's like, oh, the little kids will run over you out there. So uh, she's worried about that. But uh, she lets me run this Xfinity race, and we have a little fun once a year. So I enjoy that. Well, that tie, the, the track discussion ties into another question that came in for both of you guys about the announcement that North Carolina is putting money into a couple of the tracks that we're not running on right now, Rockingham and Wilkesboro. And if you have any thoughts on that, and and uh, should there be any racing at either one of those tracks at whatever division or those ones, Red, I'll start with you, that you'd entertain driving in if that opportunity presented itself. Well, I don't think I would be, because I've been running dirt for the last 10 years or so, but uh, I, I know Junior would probably, North Wilkesboro, some of the Rockingham, that's, they were two of the old good racetracks that started NASCAR and kept them going for many years. I, I'd love to see them get back. I'd love to see either the Infinity or either the Cups, either one, or the truck, somebody on those two racetracks again. And Dale, you've been a huge advocate of any part of the history of the sport. Now, yeah, I can go into a lot of detail there, but uh, your thoughts on that? Because you were up there and helped our racing uh, get that place cleaned up, uh, and it's actually in our, our racing simulators and, and out there. So what are your thoughts on that and uh, possibly racing there again, whether it's you or the, the any other series? Well, I don't know about Rockingham, they are having a cars tour race, which is a late model stock car at Rockingham this year. So the racing is still happening at that track. And it's much probably closer to hosting a truck Xfinity or a cup race than obviously North Willsboro or yeah, North Willsboro is. Uh, but I am a little more closely involved in the conversations that's happening around North Willsboro. And as of right now, there is a vision by the owners of that racetrack to bring racing back. Now, what, is ra what does that mean? Is that trucks, Xfinity Cup, or some local racing? I don't know. But they want to rebuild that track, revitalize it, bring auto racing back to that track, and they absolutely want to turn it into an event venue that hosts concerts and festivals and anything and everything that you could think of. And so the great thing about that is they have the support from the local government and the state. Uh, that is really what's going to make this thing a possibility. So the fact that they're wanted in that location is going to, is going to be important. And so uh, they'll get, they'll get a lot of support from, from the, from the local government and the state to do what they want to do. And there is a real possibility that North Wilkesboro could make it back. I, I mean, I never thought I'd be saying those words, but being in the conversations and hearing what I'm hearing, there's true, genuine momentum for that to be a reality. And uh, so that's pretty exciting. Um, I don't really know where Rockingham fits into all that, but... Um, you know, it, 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 it's certainly fighting for its life, and it always has. And right now, they're all kind of winning that fight, and we'll see where it goes from here. 
it sounds like, you know, from what I've read about Rockingham, they want it to be an entertainment venue and racing yes. is a part of that, that that's what talking about at Wilkesboro and uh, the, the infrastructure around Wilkesboro uh, obviously needs a little bit of work in which, you know, if it's not been used for 25, 26 years, the racing surface, uh, while, you know, that can be redone. So, uh, I mean, this is about economic development. And it takes those partnerships that you're talking about, the state, the city, the county, the owners. You know, it's not just one person or one organization writing a check. So yeah. that's encouraging that those partnerships seem to be flourishing. If I was uh, North Wilsboro, if I own North Wilsboro, so they spent about $2 million putting dirt on Bristol this year. And they probably got their money's worth because they had the the trucks, cup cars there, World Outlaw dirt cars, they had like a month and a half worth of racing. Instead of spending $2 million to do that again next year, I'd take this $10 million I'm getting from the state, I'd take the $2 million that I was going to spend at Bristol, I'd take whatever money that Camping World wants to give me, which is probably another million dollars, and then I would dig up that asphalt at North Wellsboro, I'd make that my dirt track that I'd take trucks, Xfinity, and Cup to, and then I'd spend the rest of the money on the infrastructure because that $10 million from the state's probably going to get ate up in rebuilding grandstands, rebuilding the booths. All of that stuff is not up to code. To go in there and, and remodel it is, is probably not even legal. They probably have to rebuild most of it. So you won't even touch the racetrack before you really eat into the bulk of your expense. So I just dig up that old asphalt because you can't use it anyways. You're going to have to repave or just turn it into a dirt track. <laughs> sounds like a good vision to me. So, <laughs> sounds like a good vision to me. Yeah. Go back to the competition part. One of the questions that folks had for both of you, and Red, we'll go back to you first, is who were some of your favorite people to race against? Well, in, well you know, let me tell you something here. You know, we talked about Juniors was a great driver. Dale was a great driver. A lot of people don't really realize it. But 1956, when I won the NASCAR NASCAR Modified Championship, there was another champion sitting right beside me who was named Ralph Earnhardt. He was also Dale's granddaddy. He was a great driver, too. And a lot of people didn't know there was three different Earnhardts that were champions. So I always remember that. After one day. At that time, you know, uh, Dale and Junior wasn't around, and I didn't really realize Ralph Earnhardt. You know, he, I raced against him at Concord on a half mile dirt track the last race of the year. But uh, that that's something I always was could think about. So, Dale, how about you? Who were who were so? I, I figured Ralph would come up that '56 tie and ask to, and being uh, that he was one of the early sportsman division champions that uh, Red won later. Who were some of your favorite people to race with and against? Yeah, I got that picture of Ralph and and Red Farmer standing together with their trophies from 56. So pretty cool uh, to have that memory. And uh, would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in the room. But um, I, uh, you know, I, I loved racing against the people that my, I, you know, I loved racing against the guys I raced against in my career all the names that you know but the best part about my job was when i would go as an xfinity driver to st louis for the first time in 97 and and 
and these other tracks for the first few times. And I pull out on pit road and see Terry Labonte in a car in front of me or Rusty Wallace or somebody, you know, I'd see somebody that I'd watched race against my dad for 20 years and Sterling Marlin or whoever. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm on the same pit road with this guy. I can't believe we're getting ready to go out and practice together. I hope I impress him, you know. I hope I do something that 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 shows that I belong out here. Maybe he'll go tell my daddy about it, you know. So, uh, and then the first time I got the race, Dad was in Japan. We had an exhibition race in Japan, and I remember I thinking all the way out there. I think it was thirteen hours from from the west coast or whatever. I'm thinking of all the way out there in my head. I cannot wait to get on the track with him. And I pulled out onto the racetrack for first practice and sat on pit road and waited till he came and followed him onto the track. And I watching his car just roll slowly around the apron off of uh, three turns, one and two up onto the back straightaway was one of the greatest moments in my racing career, I was watching, uh, I was seeing one of the best to ever do it for the first time. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it was a discovery, you know, it was like looking for something all your life and finally finding it. Um, so obviously we got the race against each other in that race and we got the beating on each other. And it's quite a different story the next, you know, on race day, how, how the experience was on the racetrack with him, but seeing him out there on that track, for the first very first time, I will never forget it. It was one of the coolest feelings in my, I mean, I was just bursting inside uh, to be able to see him out my windshield. That was such a great feeling. Did, didn't you beat him hey. in that race? I did. <laughs> he was not happy. We had, <laughs> we had uh, I, I, I can tell a short story on that, but we ran hard the whole race and i actually got up the top three there i bounced off the fence coming off turn four and hurt my car a little bit but i had a top three car and then i made it a top 10 car when i hit the wall with it but he was back there running in eighth and he wasn't even his car wasn't very good and he wasn't he didn't seem really excited about his car and wasn't in a great mood and he seemed to be kind of packing it in. About halfway through the race, he was just kind of, look, I'm, I'm just going to cruise through, cruise to an eighth-place finish about as good as I can do. They had another set of tires in the pits they chose not to come down and get. Well, we had like a 10-lap shootout. We came to put them tires on. We didn't have any tires. So Tony Jr. on the pit box asked Richard Childress next door in Dad's pit if we could use those tires, and he said yes. So we came and got them. We put on Dad's tires. We went out on the racetrack, and I restarted behind him probably in around 10th. And uh, I had to hurry. It was only a few laps to go, and I had to get every position I could get as fast as I could. And I ran Dad up. I ran, I ran Dad almost into the wall off turn four. He was trying to hang on my right rear quarter panel on the corner exit, and I was like, you know, give me this lane. I'm coming through. And uh, we beat and banged a little bit down the straightaway, and he was real hot with me because I kind of ran him up the racetrack. And then I went on and passed a few more cars and finished the race. And I went in. We uh, It was really cold there that time of year. And we were in these little rental 
uh, mobile units, and that's what we changed in our driver's uniforms and our street clothes in. And me and Dad had a mobile unit that we shared. And I went in there and sat down and started taking off my uniform. And he come in there and started taking off his shoes. And I looked up at him, and he wasn't looking at me. And then I leaned back down to uh, to untie my shoe. And as soon as I moved my head, his shoe came right over the top of me and he threw it as hard as he could if it had hit me in the face it hurt but that was that's what he was aiming for luckily for me i moved down to tie my shoe untie my shoe and he missed he didn't say a word to me he was just so mad uh that that i had drove him dirty i guess um but we ended up, uh, we never really even talked about it. We just kind of got over it, you know. But he was he was tough. He was mean on the racetrack. Yeah, he didn't like to lose. Red, you started to say something a minute ago. Well, you know, you talk about best drivers that you ever compete against. You know, uh, it would be an awful hard thing. You know, because back in the 50s, I ran against Junior Johnson and Buck Baker and Lee Petty and the Flock Brothers and Curtis Turner and Joe Wesley and Tiny Lund and all those great drivers. Then you've got another bunch in the 60s the same way. Then you got another bunch comes on in the 70s. There's so many good drivers that I've raced against in nine decades that I've been racing. And But overall, I would say... The two toughest competitors that I had to race against was Bobby and Donnie, because every week when we ran, we ran four nights a week, and I knew if I was going to win that race, there was two of them that I'd outrun. There was an awful lot of other good ones come along, you know, Jack Ingram and different ones we ran with, and Friday Hassler and so and Freddie Fryer. We were going to get so many good drivers, but I knew that Bobby and Donnie were the two that I would out outrun if I wanted to win the race. I can see that. I can see that. Dale, I want to go away from the track just a bit. You were talking about your dad. Now you are a dad. Isla's about ready to turn, or just turned three. Uh, Nicole, if I've got it right, is eight months old. So what has the experience been now being a dad for you? It's the toughest job in the world, I will tell you that. Uh, besides being a mom, I think being a mom is probably a lot tougher than being a dad. But um, I think the responsibility, the worry, um, trying to make sure you're not only like, you know, getting, getting them fed, getting them, getting them in the bath and, and brushing teeth and doing all the things that have to happen every day. You're also trying to, you're also trying to teach them manners, how to be a good person how to handle, you know, how to behave, right? And, um, I mean, they're relatively young for sure and got a long ways to go before we really start to get into um, right from wrong and things like that. But, it, you know, they're impressionable at this age, and uh, it's just a bunch of responsibility. And um, I'm sure we make – I'm sure we put more pressure on ourselves than we should, and we make it probably harder than we should. But um, – <clears throat> I just had, I just never knew that it was as much responsibility as it is. And, uh, and I, I mean, you just can't experience, you just can't know that until you experience parenthood, I guess. Um, 
it certainly made me appreciate my wife more and what she had, you know, what she goes through every day as a mother and the patience that she has, because she has to have that same patience with me, <laughs> you know, not only is she dealing with them two little girls, but then she's got think, you know, my, my, me running around the house, carrying on doing whatever I'm doing. And then she's, she just never has any time for herself. You know, she never gets to do what she wants to do. And so it's pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting to be honest with you. And it's always changing. I'm sure over the next several years, it's going to keep evolving. And, uh, but the girls are a lot of fun and, and, uh, I wouldn't change a thing, uh, about it. Uh, I'll always wonder maybe, you know, if we never have a son, what that might be like or would have been like, but, um, these two girls are amazing and they love their daddies. Girls, everybody always told me little girls love their daddies. So, uh, I'm, I'm in a house full of love every day. <laughs> well, you remind me of another junior. If I ever wanted to see junior Johnson light up, I'd ask him about the kids and that's pretty special. Yeah. Red, I, I want to stay in that same thing. You mentioned racing against your, grandsons uh what role do you play with them in helping tutor them racing and uh how'd that all get started you know i i've got a story i don't think we got time to tell it uh, that happened in 1953 at daytona on the beach course uh i'll do it real fast i tried to find some information I didn't even have a trailer. We drove my race car, a Hudson, up from Miami, Florida to race on Daytona in 1953 without a trailer. And I was trying to get some information from somebody to help me about tire pressure, different stuff, because I didn't know nothing about it. And uh, every time I went to somebody to do it, they had barricades around their cars. Uh, let's call them the, the big shots. Let's put it that way. I won't mention no names, but they... And I tried to get some help, and I couldn't do it. I went to four or five different places, and they had guards, and they said they didn't have time to talk to me, this, that, and the other. And finally, I went to Ralph Moody, and Ralph Moody stopped and helped me. He told me what air pressure, what a few things I could do to help my car on that racetrack. And I said that day right then, I said, I don't know if I'll ever mount to anything or I'll ever win another race in my life. I said, but if I ever become a somebody in racing, I won't never forget that I want to help somebody that's coming up, trying to learn, give him every help I can. And I've tried to do that my whole career with youngsters. I've always looked forward to it. I want to help them as much as I can, to be honest with them, and help them, because I remember that time that I got the cold shoulder in Daytona. And then I had Ralph Moody. I said, if I ever become somebody, I want to be like Ralph Moody. I want to never forget what I went through down at Daytona in 53. And that's what I try to do. I try to help them as much as I can. And uh, I enjoy doing that. I try to help the youngsters and, and, and help them and give them experience and, and help them on the racetrack. It helps them in two ways. It helps them, plus it helps me, because if I make them safer on the racetrack, they may not spin out a crash or wreck me. So it works two ways. But I've always tried to do that my whole career, to try to help youngsters as much as I can. Anytime they guys ask me a question, I'll try to give them an honest answer. Well, that's part of that, not just what you've done in the sport, but what you've done for the sport. You know, you both have had incredible success, and I'm not going to ask the, the typical 
what was your favorite victory? Because I think that sometimes is, is hard to do. But what I'd want to know is if a movie is written about you, and, and Red, I'll start with you. If a movie were be, to be made about you, what would be a defining moment in your life, in your career, that would be central to the theme or central to the storyline to tell the story of the life of Red Farmer? Well, you know, you talk about favorite race. I could tell you that one. Uh, okay. It was 1971, 1971, uh, okay. the Permatex 300 when I won Daytona. The reason that was a special race, my mother was there. And my mother has never been to the races. She was not a racing person. She was always scared I was going to get hurt. And she had never attended. She came to Daytona in 1971 for the first time. And she was in the pits the day that I won the Daytona race, and I'd been trying to win that since 59, and I finally won the Permatex, and my mother was there. She got to go to Victory Circle with me, but it was Friday, February the 13th, and that was her birthday. So that wow. was my, I, my mother on her birthday, and I won the Permatex 300, and she's at Victory Circle with me. So that's always been my favorite race of all I've ever won. That was it. But as far as a movie, I don't know. It just, it's, it's, that's hard to kind of say about what you want to do about yourself. I just, uh, did somebody that has spent his whole life, his whole career, uh, 74 years I've been racing right now. And that someone that truly loved racing, enjoyed it, met some wonderful people great friends there's nobody better than the racing family regardless what division in you're racing you're in the racing family and i just want to be thought of that uh I, i've never wrecked anybody in my life or knocked them out of the way to win a race i've always felt if you can't win a race fair and square and outrun them or outdrive them you don't deserve to be in front of them so that's the way I've tried to race my whole life. I won a lot of races, but I've never tried to be a dirty driver, run somebody in the wall, come in off the corner, or chop them going in. Once in a while, an accident will happen, but I've never deliberately wrecked anybody or spun anybody out or tried to do anything to win a race illegal. And, Dale, this kind of, for you, ties into one of the questions we got that you've done so many different things, owner, driver, pioneer, innovation being involved in the history but a movie's written about you what what's something that you think is real integral that you would want people to know about dale earnhardt jr well i um i uh always felt like that it it didn't really it wasn't as important, I guess, uh, how many races you won or how you won them or whether you won it all. It was who you were as a person. And uh, I tried uh, to be a good – I tried to measure up on that side of it as much as I could. I didn't – I wasn't perfect. But uh, I tried to be a good friend. I tried to be honest and fair and loyal. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that those personal qualities would come through in any conversation anyone might have about me. 
because, you know, I tried real hard. I tried real hard to be successful at racing, and I was at times. But that never really got me respect uh, the way that how I treated someone would, would get me respect, you know, and how I handled business with somebody or how I helped someone or managed a situation or a relationship with somebody. Um, and so I just, you know, I just wanted to always be remembered as somebody who did things the right way, treated people the right way. Uh, like I say, I wasn't perfect. I didn't always hit the mark, but, um, I tried to always be aware of that uh every day of my life so that was always really important to me because that's i think that's what you'll take you'll the trophies are cool and uh but you don't take them with you when you go when you go to your you know when you go to your grave people are going to remember who you were not what you did well i'm not in the movie making business but i think for both of you if somebody were uh that would certainly be central to the theme and that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed so much about the process leading up to the induction and induction self. You get to learn so much about the character and quality of the people. You get to learn about the tie-ins like uh, Dale, you have in the picture of your grandfather and Red together uh, and Red having raced with the, the grandfather and seeing those different relationships that go back so much further and so much deeper and the other thing that we always look forward to is watching your families. You know, you guys will probably be ah shucks, that's just what I did. But one of the most enjoyable things to me is seeing the families of the inductees. And that's what we look forward to. And for those that are on the line, I know everybody's interested in when is this induction ceremony going to be when we had to uh, defer it. And we're still working through some of those details. One of the things, and, and talked to Red and Dale last year when we had to make the decision to defer it, is we wanted to make sure that the experience for them, their families, and the fans were of the same quality. Obviously, we couldn't do that with COVID. And as we're looking into 2022, we've got to balance our TV partner, which Dale is a little bit familiar with that, with NBC, uh, the availability of the convention center, the NASCAR schedule, and how all those come together. So while we don't have anything to announce today, uh, stay tuned. It will be, our target is it'll be in that same time window from the middle of January to early February, but a lot of things that we've got to work through. We've actually got another call with NASCAR. Uh, today's Tuesday, I think it's Thursday, to continue the process. But we could not be more excited about the class of 2021 with Red, with Dale Jr., Mike Stefanik, his daughter was here yesterday. It's so good to get to see her. Uh, and then Ralph Seagraves with the Landmark Award. So really excited about that. So stay tuned. And Dale, Red, can't thank you guys enough for all you have done for the sport, in the sport. And we look forward to celebrating with you over the next number of months and definitely uh, in January, early February time frame. Thank you, guys. Have a great rest of your day, uh, and look forward to seeing everybody soon. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate you, Red. Okay. All right, Dale. So that was the uh, Zoom call with Winston Kelly, Dale Hart Jr., and Red Farmer.
Thanks for listening, everybody. Please share and like the podcast and share the NASCAR trading card hobby with uh, friends, fellow NASCAR sports fans. And from me and Logan and Jason, thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week. See y'all later.